We're going to be jumping in the Gospel of Matthew again. We've been cruising through it now. Uh, We're in chapter 21. Uh, If you've read ahead, and I hope you have, here's what you've probably noticed in this Gospel. Jesus gets more and more complex. So you begin reading Matthew and Jesus is this brilliant teacher and he has compassion and he's healing and he's doing incredible things. And you're like, yeah, Jesus, you're so kind. You're so awesome. When you hit chapter 21, you kind of go, what? Like that's different because you have traveled through Matthew enough to realize Jesus is God incarnate, that he is the king of the universe. And so Matthew 21 begins by Jesus getting on a donkey and riding into Jerusalem. Have you ever seen a man on a donkey? No one can look like a king on a donkey. The tougher and bigger and stronger you look, the more ridiculous it seems for you to be on a donkey, right? Think Chad Hansen on a little donkey. Yeah, you just, oh, that's stupid. However tough you were before, you lost it now, right? So that's how it begins. You're kind of like, oh, that doesn't seem like a king. And then the first thing he does is he marches into the temple, which at this time, it's one of the most magnificent structures in the ancient world. It's brilliantly beautiful. And Jesus says this, this place is mine. This is my house. And then he proceeds to remodel it with a whip. You know the story. So you're kind of like, huh? And then he sits down and begins to heal people. And then he has these interactions with the power of the day. And then he leaves and he goes and stays in a homeless camp on the Mount of Olives. Wakes up in the morning, he's hungry, comes to this tree, it's a fig tree, looks for some figs, there's no figs on it. So guess what he does? He curses the fig tree and it dies. And his disciples are like, dude, that's a cool trick. (laughs) And Jesus says, you can do it too. In fact, you can even do more things. You can say to this mountain, what mountain would he be looking at? The Mount of Olives. Or not the Mount of Olives, the Temple Mount. Where the temple's at. You can say that mountain be uprooted and cast into the sea. Like you can do this trick too, which is a pretty cool trick. Like we've got a lot of dirt to move at our before we start building, I'd love to just say, hey, get up and move into the sea. Be awesome, right? Jesus like, you, you too can do this. Now that's only the first 18 verses out of 46. Like you're like, what is up? This thing is starting to spin my head. Jesus, you're starting to spin my head. I, I am studying this chapter and I'm thinking, what in the world do I do? Where do I begin in this complex chapter that really starts to show something about Jesus that changes a little bit of who you think about him. And so I'm not even going to attempt that stuff. Uh, Come out Wednesday if you want to hear chapter 21. It's brilliant. And you start to see a fuller picture of Jesus. But what I want to do instead is I want to tell you a Jesus story. Because Jesus, in the midst of all this, he tells this story. And really, I don't have time to do it, but it's the entire story of the Bible in one quick parable. As usual, absolutely brilliant. And this story that Jesus tells, it has a source. You know that like some stories have a source behind them that that inspired that story, you know that? If you're in high school, maybe you've been forced to read Animal Farm. Who here has read Animal Farm? 
Okay. Animal Farm, farm George Orwell. There was a source behind that story. You know what it was? Stalin and the USSR. That George Orwell was actually a socialist. He liked socialism, but he saw what Stalin was doing with socialism and how he was corrupting it in the USSR by killing, 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 killing. That he wrote Animal Farm as a parable of what was happening in the USSR, right? All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal. That's from the USSR. So there's a source that drove the animal farm. Jesus here is playing into the big long story of Israel. He's picking it up and saying, let me put all the pieces together for you. And it's brilliant. So before I jump in to Matthew chapter 21, I want to read for you one of the sources that would have shaped the way that Israel would have heard the words of Jesus, okay? It's Isaiah chapter five, and it's a poem about a vineyard. So I'll read it for you, Isaiah five. Verse one, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? It's a story, it's a love song about a guy in his vineyard. Okay, then they apply it. And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So it's this poem about a guy who makes a beautiful vineyard, loves his vineyard, and it produces no fruit. And verse seven tells us the fruit that God wanted from Israel, it's a parable about Israel. It says, verse seven, he looked for justice. It's the Hebrew word mizpah, but he only found bloodshed, Hebrew word mizpah, and for righteousness, Hebrew word sadakah, and behold, an outcry or sada. The two words, justice and righteousness, mizpot and sadakah, it's the story of what God wanted from Israel. I want righteousness and justice. It's the entire Old Testament. What I want for my vineyard, why I put all this work into it, is because I want a group of people that will be both righteous and just, righteous before me and doing justice to everybody else. So that's what God wanted and he didn't get it, okay? 
So this is the source story, if you would, that's driving the parable Jesus gives us. It's a parable, the, old, the entire Bible. So Matthew 21, let me read you the Jesus story. Brilliant as usual. Matthew 21, 33. Jesus, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard. Ring any bells? And he built a fence around it. Ring any bells? <laughs> and dug a wine press in it. Ring any bells? And he built a tower. Ring any bells? Right? Exactly from Isaiah chapter five. This guy builds this beautiful vineyard, but here's where he changes it. And he leased it to tenants. And he went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew, drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. Now, what fruit does the master of the vineyard really want? Sadakah and Mizpah, justice and righteousness. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they, you have to look at verse 23 to find out, find out who he's talking to. It's the chief priests, the elders. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and the one on which it falls, it will crush him. That's the words of Jesus. Fascinating, fascinating parable. So here's what I wanna to try to do. Let me tell you the story again quickly. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about the stars, the people in the parable, okay? So you have this master, Verse 33 tells us, is he a slumlord? No, what does he do? He builds a brand new house. He plants a vineyard. Anyone ever tried to plant a vineyard? Cash, right? You don't make money planting a vineyard. He's spending cash on this place. A fence, a wine press, a tower. Like he builds a really, really spectacular place. He never even lives in it. It's all brand new, right? New carpet, new everything, new paint. Move in. Then he rents it out, if you would, gives it some, to some tenants. Now, why does he do that? What does he want in return? Some fruit, right? We can talk about what the fruit is, but he wants fruit. Man, I put in this investment. I put a lot of capital into this place. I, I want some fruit back. But what happens? He sends these servants. The servants go, <clears throat> what do they do to them? Beat them, kill them, right? Beats them 
and kills them. So then what does he do next? He has every right at this point to send in the army. You guys are now squatters and murderers. I'm going to send in the army and I'm going to wipe you out. Like that's what he should have done. What does he do instead? Sends in his son, right? When you read this story, when you hit that point, what should you be doing? No, right? Like in a horror movie, when the person is reaching out to open the door and you're going, no, don't do it. That's what you should be doing right here. Don't send your son. What are you thinking? So why does he send, <clears throat> why does he send in the son? Is it about fruit? What does he say right after he sends in the son? Maybe they'll respect my son. Is respect a business term? No, it's a relational term. I want them to see what kind of master I am. I'm gonna send my son so that they'll understand that I will do anything to reconcile this relationship. I'm not after fruit. I'm not after grapes. I'm after a relationship. I'm not sending in seal team six. I'm sending in my own son. Why? Isaiah 5, I love my vineyard. I love it. I'm not here to destroy it. It's a relational term. It's a shocking, shocking thing the master does. Not the army. I'm sending in my son so that they will know that I will do everything I possibly can to reconcile this thing. That's the master. Pretty good master. Then you have these tenants, right? And what do the tenants say? Verse 38. We're going to kill the son to get his inheritance. Is that right? Does that happen? No, they're deluded, right? They'd have to kill the son and the dad and the extended family. They'd have to wipe out an entire group of people in order to claim the inheritance. What's happened to these tenants? Like when the master did a credit report, it was 800. And now what's happened to them? They believe it's theirs now. This is our inheritance. This is our vineyard. We want to keep this thing. They forgot they forgot that they're renters. So Jesus then says, what should happen to these guys? What would you do to them? If you took a bunch of your capital and resources and you built a beautiful home and planted an awesome garden in it and all that kind of stuff, and you go to get your rent check and you send somebody over there and they kill them, your best friend. And then you send your son over there and they kill your son too. What would you do? You go Rambo on them, right? Walker, Texas Ranger, Clint Eastwood, Matt Heverly, one of those. You, you go unplugged. And so their response, what do they say? Yeah, he will put those wretches to death. Th- that's what they say. That's what he's gonna do. He's gonna come in there and kill them all. Jesus does not say, yeah, that's right. What does Jesus say? Verse 42, Bible Haven't you read the Bible? And he quotes here Psalm 118, verse 22, which on Wednesday we'll talk. This is Passover week. One of the texts you read Passover week was Psalm 118. So he is picking up what everybody is studying right then. He's saying, look at this text. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes, right? unbelievable. And then he says, I tell you, who's he talking to? You guys right here, chief priests, 
It's back 23. Elders of the people, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone, going back to the cornerstone, will be broken in pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. All right? And I just love verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Hey, huh? What? Hey, <laughs> just love that. So Jesus then gives this quotation of this Psalm, having read your Bible, about this stone that's rejected and becomes the chief cornerstone, that this marvelous thing happens. And then he says this, if you mess with this stone, it will either break you or crush you. Don't mess with the stone, right? You don't mess with rocks. When you get angry, you want to kick something, don't kick a big rock, kick a soccer ball. You don't mess with a stone. That's what he says. You mess with this stone. I don't care how you think you're going to do it. it you're going you're gonna to lose. You lose in this battle, okay? So do you get this whole parable? Tough, huh? Very tough. It's, it's, it's so brilliant. So today I don't want to make a bunch of application. I want to do one thing. Here's all I want to do. I want you to see Jesus as brilliant and beautiful because I think that's what this parable does. I want you to see Jesus as brilliant and beautiful. So let's work our way through this pretty quickly, through the, the kind of um, nuances of it. Because you have this, the first nuance is these old tenants, right? The old tenants, and when they're asked about this vineyard parable, what should happen to the old tenants? What are the, old te- what are the, the, what are the chief priests and the elders answer? Kill them all, right? Who are they? The old tenants. It's kind of ironic. What should I do to the old tenants? Kill them all. Well, you just said to yourselves, it's, it's an, there's, there's irony in this. They're saying, we should die. That's what they're really saying. We should die. Matthew does this all the time in this gospel. Matthew will tell these stories inspired by God's spirit about Jesus. And then you'll be kind of reading them thinking, oh man, those morons. And it's like he, Matthew kind of comes up beside you. Can you believe those guys? Can you believe how they do that? Can you, they, they killed this, can you believe they thought it was their place? You're like, no, idiots, morons. And he's like, yeah, it's you. That's what he, that's what he did right here. Because don't we do the exact same thing? Don't we forget like old tenants that we're living on borrowed land? Don't we forget like the old tenants that the very air that we breathe does not belong to us? Don't we forget the same thing? Aren't we just like these tenants? And I'll get in these conversations with these guys that will say this, yeah, but I worked hard. To get where I am, to get my vineyard and my house, I worked hard to get here. I put myself through college. And I always say, hey, man, that's awesome. But do you have any idea the advantages, the advantage, do you have any idea the advantages you are given to get that degree? You could have been born in the 13th century as a Tibetan monk. Okay, you're, there's no MBA for you. As a peasant in Australia, you're, there's, no, there's nothing for you. Do you have any idea of the incredible verse 33 that's been given to you? The vineyard, the house, everything the good master has given so that you could get ahead. We forget so often. And we think, by my own power, I have made myself thus. Right. Right, you're just like these guys. I'm just like these guys. So Wednesday, I was saying this 
um, I had taken my son down to Baker Park at like four o'clock and he was driving his little remote control boat around with his, co- <coughs> his cousin. And I met this guy from San Francisco who had moved up here. He's like, man, this place is so awesome. Love Southern Oregon. I don't know why he moved here. I had my guesses, but um, <laughs> I didn't ask. <laughs> but uh, he's just, it's so beautiful. It's so awesome. And, and I was just reminded like, yeah, this was a great place to grow up as a kid. A great place with the rivers and fishing. And I've got story after story of just great times I've had in Grants Pass growing up right here. And, and then, uh, I graduate from high school. And I get to go to the premier university in Oregon, Oregon State University. <laughs> Other people have had to go to sub-universities and I feel for them. My heart breaks. You didn't have as much advantage as I, sorry. Not just like advantage after advantage after advantage. And I got to keep reminding myself of that. I have to remind myself, I can turn on this, this faucet and I can drink the water right out of it. Do you know how many places and throughout history, how many people have not been able to be able to do that? Do we have any idea of the verse 33 that God has given to us? When we forget that, we become old tenants and we start to complain. And then we start to abuse, abuse the servants of God. And we start to become just like these guys. We are to be a people that are constantly bathing ourselves in the gratitude for what God has done for us. We are to never forget that we are living in the king's land and we are to partner with this king in the work of righteousness and justice, Sadakah and Mizpah. Because when we forget it, we become old tenants. That God's grace was not bestowed upon us in vain. It was bestowed upon us so that we might be those that live righteous lives and are just to our neighbors. And Jesus will hammer this in chapter 22. And we'll talk about it then as well. So, so that, that's the, the, the first big thing. So, so the major parable, <clears throat> I'm losing my voice here. Hold on. I'm gonna get a drink of water. This'll help me. <clears throat> I went on a bike ride, or a, <clears throat> I'm even losing my mind. I didn't bike. <laughs> I hiked. I went on a hike on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and I think maybe I'm dehydrated now. I'll blame it on that. Okay? So, so you have this, you have the, the old tenants, and they're, they're, the warning there is look out. Then verse 43 says this, there's something new happening. And it's this new kingdom and this kingdom has a new goal, right? Two things. Now, kingdom, that word kingdom, like we don't use it very often. Anybody use that? When you invite someone over to your property, you're like, come to my kingdom <laughs> for dinner. Like we just don't use it. And so it's lost something. In fact, in most 21st century American minds, when you say kingdom, what do you think about? Disneyland, the magic kingdom, right? Mickey and Minnie and yeah, woohoo. Okay. That's not a good picture. When you see kingdom of God in the Bible, here's what it means. It's the place of the rule of God. That's what it means. It's the place that God rules. And is the place that God rules a good place? I think so. It's verse 33. It's a new house and a new vineyard, a new fence and a wine press and a tower. When you think the kingdom of God, your mind should go to Eden or it should go to New Jerusalem. That's the kingdom of God. That's his desire. That's what he wants. The rule of the king is supposed to be places like that. So we are to be 
in the kingdom of God. And it's given to a people. What's the goal of it? The goal is, verse 43, given to a people producing its fruits. What's the goal of the kingdom? Produce fruits, right? What kind of fruit are we supposed to be producing? Isaiah 5, verse 7. Righteousness, Sadaqah, and Mizpah. Okay, so in their mind, that's what they're thinking. We're supposed to be a people of righteousness and a people of justice. That's the fruits that the king is looking for inside of his kingdom. So that's all in this. So this parable, what it really is, it's a warning to me and a warning to you. What kind of tenant are we? Are we the old tenant or are we the new tenant? Which kind of tenant are we? So in Christianity, people get in these cycles, conundrums, where they start asking like, does it matter how I live? Right? I've been saved. I've been brought into the vineyard. I'm in the vineyard now. So it doesn't really matter. the, The wall surrounds me. I'm safe. I prayed a prayer 10 years ago. I'm in. Oh, I think that's dangerous. I think this parable is warning us against that attitude. That you think just because you're in the vineyard now, you can start trashing the king's sons or taking virtue from the king's daughters, I think you should be warned. Because if you're not fruitful, this parable is saying, if you're an old tenant, who look out, beware. Because God's looking for tenants that live inside of his vineyard who are gonna be producing sadaqah and mizpah, justice and righteousness. And if we're not, look out. So we start always trying to lean into God's grace and that's good, but God's grace never frees us from the responsibility to obey him, Sadakan Mizpah. God's grace makes possible my ability to obey him in Sadakan and Mizpah. It doesn't free me from it. Just because you're in the vineyard, just because you prayed a prayer 10 years ago does not mean, hey, it's all good. I can do exactly what I want. And when we start, when we start, disobeying God, here's what's happened. We've forgotten what a good, generous God he is. We've forgotten verse 33. And God actually warns Israel about this way back in Deuteronomy chapter eight. He says, when you get in the land and you've got your little place and you've got your house and your vineyards producing and you got lots of fruit, don't do this. Don't say, I've done this by my own power. Remember, I gave it to you. See, we're always supposed to be bathing ourselves in gratitude. Gratitude guards us against becoming old tenants. Thinking every morning, every believer should wake up and just start thanking Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this home. Thank you, Jesus, for running water. Thank you, Jesus, for health. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your spirit. Just go down the list. Why? Because it will guard you. But when you're not thankful, very often you will leave your house angry and you'll start beating the servants and start being angry with them. Gratitude, do you know gratitude and anger, they just can't coexist. Have you noticed that? Like if you're really thankful, you can't be angry. Isn't that true? So you're like, hey, bro, thank you so much for giving me your kidney. That was such a blessing. Now I'm gonna punch you in the face. (laughs) You just know that that never works. Listen, gratitude is what guards you The people of God are to always go back to verse 33. Wow, you are so good. 
well, Matt, you just scared me because I feel like an old tenant. So am I out? If you feel that way right now, you're exactly where Matthew wants you to be. Because if God bestowed grace upon his vineyard, Israel, for 2,000 years, all the way from, from Abraham to Jesus, and it didn't work, what about me? It's never gonna work on me. Oh, this scares me. Because I don't know if I'm Sadakah in Mizpah. I don't know if I'm righteous and just. In fact, I haven't been. So am I out? Well, you're right where Matthew wants you to be. Because then you have this quotation of Jesus, verse 42. Have you never read? When the old tenants say, kill him, what does Jesus say? He says something so different. Listen to what he says, verse 42. Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, if you're sitting there going, my goodness, this is so complex. Vineyards and sons and servants and old tenants and new tenants and kingdoms and cornerstones and buildings. Ah, I can't get it. Let me try to quickly give you what's happening here. Jesus would have spoken Aramaic. It was kind of a Hebrew modified language. The Bible's written in Greek. But when Jesus spoke in Aramaic, the word for son in Aramaic is ben. The word for stone in Aramaic is eben. So there's a word play here. You have the killed ben and you have the rejected eben, right? So there's a word play between the son and the cornerstone. And it's going to make sense to them. So you got this kind of back and forth thing. You have a rejected eben and you have a killed ben. But the rejected Eben becomes, verse 42, the cornerstone. I don't have time to do this. If you want to, go to Acts chapter four because Peter remembers Jesus saying that and he bases a whole preaching message on it. And this is what he said. He says, the stone that the builders rejected is the crucifixion. And the one that, the becoming the cornerstone is the resurrection. So while the old tenants say, kill them all, what does Jesus say? Kill me. Isn't that fascinating? The old tenants, they just need to all be killed. And Jesus says, no, that's not the solution. What's the solution? The solution is kill me, but not just kill me, right? It's more than that. So let me try to drive this point home real quickly and I'm done. In America, in uh, evangelical circles, when we think about why did Jesus come, what do we usually say? To die for our sins, right? The death of Jesus, and it's important. But guess what? It didn't end there. The stone wasn't just rejected. What happened to the stone? It becomes the cornerstone. It becomes the cornerstone of a brand new building, something brand new being made, right? The rejected Eben, the crucified Ben, now becomes the brand new building, something remade, redone, renewed. So the cross is not the most important event in history. Do you know what the most important event in history is? The resurrection, right? Lots of people died on the cross. If we just had the cross, what does that mean? God died. Without the resurrection, the cross is terrible news. 
The good news is this. Three days later, the rejected Eben, the crucified Ben, becomes the chief cornerstone. That's the good news. The most important event in history is the resurrection. And that's what Jesus is saying. Not kill them all, kill me. And I'm gonna start something brand new. This long story where, where, where vineyard after vineyard has been destroyed, destroyed, destroyed. I'm starting a brand new story. And it's not based on anger and armies coming in and killing. It's based on me dying. But even more than that, me becoming the chief cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. So let me try to hammer this home. The gospel is called literally the good news. It's supposed to be good news. And when you get the good news, it is supposed to change how you live in the vineyard. I'll give you an old, old story of this. In World War II, there was this Highland Scottish man. His name is Murdo McDonald. Any pregnant ladies? It's a good one. Murdo McDonald. So he's put into this Nazi concentration camp. And the concentration camp was divided in half. You can Google it. There was half was for Americans Half was for the British. And uh, because he was not exactly American or British, but United Kingdom, they put him with the Brits. And what would happen is, an hour a day, they would be allowed to come to the fence and talk to each other. These two groups, Americans and the Brits. But the Nazis actually did this to spy and find out information that was being passed back and forth because they could speak, um, obviously, German, uh, English, and French. So they would spy on the people. Well, they figured it out pretty quick. Well, Murdo McDonald knew this dialect in Scotland called Gaelic. And there was a guy on the American side, a chaplain who also knew it. So all of a sudden, the only language that they had in common that the guards didn't know was Gaelic. So now it became Murdo McDonald and this other chaplain that would actually pass important information back and forth. So this goes on for a while. Well, the Americans end up making this homemade shortwave radio. So they start getting in this news and they would pass it through these two people, through Gaelic. Well, they get news one day that Germany has surrendered. And so they pass that news across and all of a sudden, uh, Myrtle McDonald said, the entire camp changed. It was transformed. We started to party. The guards were still there. In fact, it would take days for the guards to find out. Days and days and days. But we started to party. The dogs were still there. The guns were still pointed at us. We were still starving. There was fleas and ticks and lice and all kinds of bad stuff, but we partied. Why? Because we heard some good news. We heard some incredible good news. And that good news changed everything about the camp. We no longer hated the guards, he said. In fact, we pitied them and we started to smile at them. We partied. That's the gospel. The gospel is not self-help to make you a better something. The gospel is not about, oh, good teachings by a cool dude, all right? The gospel is not about you attaining your best you. That's not the gospel. Those are all methods. The gospel is good news of an event that happened 2,000 years ago when the the builders rejected the stone that becomes the chief cornerstone, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Here's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ died and has risen again and he defeated every enemy and you and I are set free. He defeated demons, he defeated death, he defeated sins, he defeated everything. And when you allow that into your heart, that good news, guess what you do? 
you party. That's what you do. Nothing else can change. Still can be guards and dogs and fleas and ticks and hunger and pain. But you know this, good news has happened. Good news has happened. The rejected stone has become the chief cornerstone. That's good news. Instead of me being wiped out by the army like I deserved, God the Father says, I want them to understand my nature. And so I'm sending my son and he's gonna take what they deserve to give them what he has earned. That's good news. And when you allow that into your heart, it changes everything. It is marvelous. It's marvelous. That's the gospel. If you don't understand that, you do not understand the story of Jesus. If you don't understand that, you don't understand the entire story of the Bible. It's marvelous when you get it and it transforms. I don't care what prison camp you're in. I don't care if you feel like your job is a prison camp. Your marriage is a prison camp. Your kids are the guards. I don't care. It transforms it because good news has happened and the king is returning for us. And there's a kingdom that's being born right now, day by day, and it's growing and it's got power and it transforms this world. That's the gospel. That's the story of the entire Bible right there. And it's marvelous and it's the Lord's doing. And so if you're here today and you have not allowed that story to transform your heart, Here's what we offer every single Sunday. We offer baptism. Baptism is this. It's like a grave. You go into it, you die. And then here's what Romans 6 says. When you come out, you're resurrected into the same life Jesus lived. You're given that good news, good life. So we'd love to baptize you if you feel like you need that. If you're saying, you know what? I've been baptized. I know Jesus, but I think I'm being an old tenant. I'm kind of murmuring. I'm kind of complaining. I'm kind of treating God's kids incorrectly. There's not Mizpot. There's not Sadaka in my life. Then we'd love to pray for you and pray that God, through the rejected stone that becomes the chief cornerstone, helps you build on something solid and transforms your life. So baptism and prayer offered every summer day. So Father, I thank you for this marvelous story. Thank you that you are such a good God that's built a beautiful vineyard for us to inhabit. That didn't treat us the way we deserve to be treated, sending in an army to destroy us. But instead, you sent your son so that we might know you, your son who was rejected, but is now has risen and as the chief cornerstone of this new temple that's being built called the church that you inhabit. That's good news. May it be marvelous to us. And may the marvel of the gospel motivate us to Sadaqah and Mizpah, justice and righteousness. And may we live that out in our lives this day, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.